Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Amazon, cited by OSHA, culinary workers picket a casino's corporate headquarters in Las Vegas, the Actors Union on Alec Baldwin. And today on the show, we check in with the Delaware Building Trades and the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Welcome to the Monday, January 23rd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Jim Ashone is going to be our first guest on the show, no stranger to America's Workforce. He's uh, been on the show at least once before, and he serves as financial secretary of the Operating Engineers. Website is i. OUE542.com. Jim started with the local back in 2006 as an apprentice, became a business agent in 2013, and he also serves as treasurer of the Delaware Building Trades and Construction Council, and that website is debuildingtrades.com. Going to talk a lot about apprenticeship programs. It's real interesting what's been going on in Delaware. In Delaware, it is mandated that to work on public-funded jobs, you have to be a participant in a program, or you have to buy out of the program. The issue is that the buyout is disincentivizing contractors to participate because the fee to buy out is only a few thousand dollars. Now, this, as a result, restricts entry into the trades for both union and non-union employees. Sounds a bit convoluted, but that's exactly why we're bringing Jim to the table today to explain what's going on. Never heard of anything like this before, but apparently uh, it's happening in Delaware. We'll also get into prevailing wage and the importance of out-of-town contractors that receive state funds being mandated to pay a fair and competitive wage. I'll tell you, this has been going on for decades, and uh, Jim will bring us up to speed on how prolific it is in the state of Delaware. Also, get this, the Delaware Pro Act this year, the building trades plan to run a mini Pro Act bill. Now, if you've been following this show, if you've been following the PRO Act in general, it has not gotten anywhere. In the last Congress, it did pass the House, didn't get anywhere in the Senate, and this would revolutionize labor law in the United States of America. And a lot of young people, they did some polling on this recently, and they found among young voters, those 18 to 39, there's hardly any opposition to going forward with the PRO Act, 85% support. And take a look what's going on with young people today. They're organizing at various retail establishments, Starbucks, Amazon. I'll get to Amazon in a minute, what's happening there. Among all voters, among all voters, the PRO Act leads 69 to 20%. But we can't get it passed in Congress. People want it. It's not going anywhere. Elections matter. Later in the show, we're going to check in with uh, Greg Regan, 
Greg is the president of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, longtime supporter of America's workforce. The TTD is a collection of about three dozen transportation unions, whether it's on the ground, in the air, on the rail. We'll talk about the goals of the new Congress. And uh, Greg wants to reflect on uh, the former chair of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, and that was Pete DeFazio. He did a whole lot when it comes to our infrastructure. And uh, the latest on rail and the two-person crews, we touched on this pretty extensively last month. You know, our rail operations are pretty safe today. You know why? Because they're operated by two-person crews. The industry wants to take one of those people away. So you'd have a train, which is (laughs) 65 to 100 tons being operated by one individual. God forbid an accident happened, and accidents have happened, especially uh, one in Quebec. We talked about that last time, and people were killed. But this is where the industry is going. It's uh, it's the use of modern technology. They figure a computer can do it all and just put one person on the train. Greg Regan, president of the Transportation Trades Department, will be uh, buttoning up the show. Right now, brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. OSHA has cited Amazon for violations of the general duty to protect workers from highly dangerous hazards, proposing $60,269 in fines. It's amazing how they got that number. The uh, new round of fines follows a previous OSHA citation, which was in December, for approximately $29,000 in fines for injury record-keeping violations. This is all coming out of the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, which is a very aggressive office. And they are investigating whether Amazon engage in a fraudulent scheme designed to hide the true number of injuries in its workplaces. A study was done in 2021 on workplace injuries, and they found that Amazon had more than twice the rate of injury compared to other employers in the warehouse industry. That's a heck of a heck of a study that came out. I was reading parts of of that, and uh, I'd like to get somebody on the show to talk more about that. Why why is that happening? Why is that happening? You work in an Amazon warehouse and the injury rate is twice as high. They push you to the limit. I do know that. And that's probably a big part of it. Last December, the Department of Labor reached a consent order with an industrial cleaning services company, Packers Sanitation Services, Inc., that illegally employed children on the graveyard shift to clean slaughterhouses exposing them to hazardous conditions and injuries. At least 50 children, some as young as 13, worked at five plants in three states across the Midwest. This is in our country. NBC News reported that the federal government has now opened an investigation to determine if the children are victims of human trafficking. Probably. Wow. Amazing. Last Thursday, the uh, Culinaries Union, Unite Here, this would be Local 226, they picketed 
Station Casino's corporate headquarters in Las Vegas, calling on the corporation to negotiate a fair contract with its workers. And they demanded an end to unfair labor practices. Turns out that workers at six of the company's casinos in Las Vegas are fighting for their first union contract. The federal government has filed a complaint against Station for those unfair labor practices. The culinary union members have proposed numerous times to include in their contract. They want to uh, ensure that workers laid off at closed locations have hiring priority for vacant positions at properties that remain open. Makes sense. They've also called for enhanced benefits for union members, severance benefits if there are further layoffs, expanded training opportunities with the Culinary Academy, of Las Vegas, improved job security, and more. As part of the unfair labor practice complaint, the federal government is seeking a bargaining order to help resolve the situation in the workers' favor. We'll keep our eye on that one. And one more story here before we break. The Actors' Union, SAG-AFTRA, which is my union. I've been a member of AFTRA, American Federation of TV Radio Artists, since 1974. They merged with the Screen Actors Guild about 10, 11 years ago. Well, anyway, the union is standing behind Alec Baldwin, calling prosecutors wrong and uninformed for deciding to charge him with involuntary manslaughter in the Rust shooting death of cinematographer Hala Hutchins. Rust, the name of the movie, was an independent movie, and apparently Alec was uh, part of the management there. SAG-AFTRA, which called Hutchins 2021 prop gun shooting a preventable tragedy said in a statement Thursday that her death isn't a failure of duty or a criminal act on the part of any performer. The prosecutor's contention that an actor has a duty to ensure the functional and mechanical operation of a firearm on a production set is wrong and uninformed, the union said. An actor's job is not to be a firearms or weapons expert. Well, last week, the district attorney in Santa Fe charged Baldwin and two others with uh, involuntary manslaughter and said Hutchins would be alive today if the three did their job. The Actors Union said performers train to perform and are not expected to be gun experts. The industry assigns that responsibility to qualified professionals who oversee their use and handling in every aspect. This is an interesting case and certainly one to watch because uh, if he is convicted, boy, that is going to change a whole lot of movie making in America. No doubt about it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. The Delaware Building Trades coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds 
at boydwaterson.com. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Ironworkers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 ironworkers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union ironworkers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our ironworkers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to uh, Delaware right now. Joining us on our live line is Jim Ashone. Jim is with Local 542 of the International Union of Operating Engineers, and he is also the treasurer of the Delaware Building Trades. And uh, he's been on the show before, and I'll tell you, no rest for the wicked, as they often say. Uh, Jim is on his way to a job site. Jim, welcome to the show. And uh, you were telling me off the air, we've got some problems. I mean, this is probably a typical day for you in the trades, but what's going on in Delaware? So this morning, we uh, we have a contractor that the building trades met with last week that agreed to sign on to a project labor agreement we have on a job site and as of this morning, we have not received a signed document, and the contractor has not requested manpower from the, the local union hiring hall. So I think um, myself and a couple of the guys from Lyuna are going to just kind of cruise by the job site and make sure there's no activity. And if there is, then we will react accordingly and have the contractor removed from the site. Now, does this contractor have a history of doing this kind of thing? i got to be honest with you, this is – in 10 years that I've been a business agent, it's the first time I've had a contractor that agreed to sign a PLA and hasn't done so. So um, I think the, the overall hope is that he just hasn't gotten it signed yet and they are not going to be trying to start work today. Okay. Um, and then, you know, we'll just go from there. Now, is this a pretty big project that we're talking about? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, the Port of Wilmington um, expansion project. It's between five and $700 million. Um, we've been working with the state of Delaware for about five years to get this project underway. So it's, it's a sizable project. Um, the work we're going to check on today is just some preliminary test piles, um, a sm- small little front-end project before they get started in earnest. What kind of uh, employment are we talking there? Five, you know, $700 million, that's got to be a lot of jobs, right? It, it, it's going to be significant. Um, we're not sure yet because they haven't actually finished engineering the project. Um, it's it's a significant it's all new facility they've got to do some demo um some non-hazmat site remediation then they're going to put a seawall in a new pier um you know obviously all the the loading and unloading facilities that we need for these ships so it's going to be a significant project we're just not quite clear on the scope yet um because it's still in engineering well good luck to you on that uh i also want to talk about prevailing wage but uh, we'll, we'll do that a little bit later in the conversation what really got my attention is uh, the apprenticeship programs in Delaware, and we've been doing a whole lot on this show with uh, various trades to talk about 
ramping up their apprenticeship programs because of the amount of work that's out there. And we're, we're just seeing a bunch of work pouring in. Some areas, obviously, more than others, and we could touch on what's going on there. You, you obviously that that seven hundred million dollar project is something of significance. But what what's the uh, the, the law in Delaware on uh, public funded jobs and, and apprenticeship programs? I, I was reading this. I'm, I figured I got to get some details from Jim on this one. Go ahead, Jim. So a few years ago, um, the building trades work with the um, the Democratic Labor Committees in the House and the Senate here. And we got a, a, a bill passed that was intended to require uh, a contractor to have a, a bona fide apprentice program for every craft that would be involved on the job. Somehow down the line, um, it was changed uh, and misinterpreted by some people at a state level to read that you only had to have an apprentice program. So. In our effort to to realign that that legislation, we we worked with some legislators and we got an amendment passed to it. Um, as part of the negotiation process, I guess you could say, there was a an option to buy out of having an apprentice program. So what it means is that a contractor can come into Delaware or already be in Delaware, and if they go to work on a prevailing wage job or other state funded project. They're required to have a bona fide apprentice program, or they can buy out of having a pre- an apprentice program. And I think the fee is around $2,000 per trade, but there's a cap, an annual cap, that a contractor will not be charged more than $10,000 a year. So, in essence, a contractor could come to Delaware and do $500 million worth of prevailing wage work, pay $10,000, and employ no apprentices. Um which is problematic for not only union trades, but, you know, the, the merit shop contractors that are trying to propagate a workforce through apprentice programs. They have a, a severe um, bid disadvantage for employing an apprentice, which is it goes against the spirit of legislation entirely. So that's something that, again, we're going to be trying to correct. Hopefully we can get it done this year. And if not, it's not something that's going to go away. We're going to continue to try and work on it. Jim, here's here's the analogy that I'm drawing with what you just said. I have a kid that's going to go to college and get a degree, and let's let's say let's say it's a nursing degree. Let, let's use that because obviously there's a big demand for nurses. That kid, well, maybe doesn't want to go through the whole nursing program. So I, as a parent, would come up with a check, maybe ten, twenty thousand dollars, and uh, we can bypass college. Is that is that a good comparison of what we're talking about here? It's pretty tight. Um, I mean, that's that's about as apt a comparison as you're probably going to be able to make. Um, it was really heartbreaking for trades to find out that that or the legislation that we worked hard to to get. And um, we actually had the governor, John Carney, came to the annual Building Trades Apprenticeship Graduation Ceremony and signed the bill on the stage with all the business representatives. And then have it watered down uh, the way it was is really – it was kind of like a cold, hard slap in the face. And it, it, like I said before when we were talking, this whole idea of a buyout, it comes from um, the state of Maryland where when you buy out, the money doesn't even go to the state. It goes to the ABC. Like you pay the ABC to be a part of their apprentice program almost. Um, it's really kind of a 
it, it really goes against what what I think the industry is trying to do by trying to get young people involved in the trades um, to get people a good career from the ground up. You know, they start as an apprentice, they work through their couple of years as an apprentice, and then they have a skilled trade they can carry on through the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. When you actually you have contractors actively working against that and lobbying to um, to be able to not do that, it seems counterproductive to a, a good business model. But yeah, that's, that's what they wanted, so that's what they got. And those of you listening right now, just to clarify, ABC that's Associated Builders and Contractors, notoriously anti-union. And I can only assume that they have a relatively large presence there. I mean, they're all over the country. I know that. But what's the status in Delaware? Well, you know, Baltimore was the birthplace of the ABC, and we're about a 40-minute drive from Baltimore. So the ABC is pretty pretty established here in Delaware. Um, it's they, um, they go head-to-head with us every year legislatively. It's it's always a battle when it comes to stuff like apprenticeship or prevailing wage or, or project labor agreements with these guys. Uh, at the end of the day, they portray themselves to be for the worker, but anybody that is involved in the industry or takes the time to educate themselves realizes that these guys represent the owners. They don't represent the workers. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it's problematic for stuff like this, like the apprenticeship thing. I mean, they had guys down there, like you would see at Picket Line, they had all the workers come down, the legislative hall in Dover, and these guys are down there screaming and hollering and carrying on and fucking against stuff that would help them. And it's it's really a shame to see that, that the message gets so twisted about what the ABC and or the union stand for, you know, um, who's actually there fighting for the worker and who's not. Yeah. Now, you come from the uh, operators, engineers, local 542. Does ABC have, like, an apprenticeship program for operating engineers? And maybe you can compare the two, just to explain to our audience the difference here. So the ABC in Delaware doesn't have an apprentice program. There are a group of contractors that have apprentice programs. They have legitimate apprentice programs. They're not as um, detailed as a union program would be. Speaking mm-hmm. for my trade, they, I mean, these guys, they go out on the job and, and they work them as an apprentice um, when they're on pr- public jobs. When they're on private jobs, they probably won't see the inside of a piece of equipment. They're going to be out with a shovel. They're going to be in a ditch somewhere. They're really going to be working as a laborer on private jobs. And on public jobs, they'll work them as an apprentice just to try and keep their program valid. Um, it's really not a fair comparison to compare our program to theirs. Our guys are doing hundreds and hundreds of hours every year of classroom and field training, and the non-union guys are usually doing the bare minimum. Yeah. Uh, and, and they misclassified our guys a lot. I mean, we have pretty strong misclassification laws in Delaware for a reason. They didn't just come about for no reason. There's there's history there of uh, these contractors misclassifying their workers and, and payment incorrectly, not – you know, submitting certified payroll and prevailing wage jobs and stuff. So, you know, it's it's really not a fair comparison. Um, yeah, yeah, so, at all. So, bottom line, taxpayers get screwed. Yeah, I know that that that's been going on for such a long time. You know, I don't know if you're privy to this uh, study that came out just last week from uh, NABTU, the National Association of Building Trades, on diversity, and uh, they compared the union versus non-union when it comes to uh, diversity, and it's like two to one. Women made up, for example, 4.8% of all union apprenticeships. This goes back to 2019. 
in non-union apprenticeships, 2.4%, half. African-Americans, there's a big uh, big gap there as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's it's amazing what uh, what's going on in America. It's sad. I can't believe that story, what's going on in Delaware, though, the, the buyout. Uh, just to... Just to clarify here, there are folks in the trades here working with the lawmakers to try to uh, recraft this and stop this madness, at least in the state of Delaware. Am I hearing yeah, that correctly? I, I believe this year we are going to be um, trying to either entirely remove the uh, the buyout or amend it so that the buyout cost reflects the annual salary that an apprentice would earn on a a project. So, for instance, uh, an operating engineer apprentice would typically earn between $60,000 and $80,000 a year, employed 52 weeks a year on on a project. So we would ask that the legislature consider that to be the buyout for a power equipment operator apprentice program, Um, that they pick a number between that that about $60,000 to $80,000, and that's the buyout because – that would incentivize a contractor that does not have an apprenticeship program that maybe they should start one rather than have to pay the wages without the employee. That I feel makes like, sense. Yeah, I think that's the general consensus is that if you're going to buy out, make it so that we're trying to incentivize contractors to not buy out. We want mm-hmm. contractors to have apprentice programs. We don't yeah. want them to not have apprentice programs. We're trying to say, hey, this is what you need. You know, the average age of a construction worker in this country is mid-50s. It's not working. That's why there's a shortage in skilled trades, because we're not pushing as an industry. We're not pushing for younger people to come into the trades. We're not pushing apprenticeships. It's really only the unions that are pushing for this apprenticeship and reaching out to high school kids and trying to get them involved in the trades. And we really need the entire industry to be doing this. This is not something that the unions can carry on their own, or else we're going to end up with a really lopsided workforce. I hear you. Jim is shown joining us on our live line today. He is financial secretary of Local 542, the International Union of Operating Engineers, also serves as treasurer of the Delaware Building Trades. That website is debuildingtrades.com. We'll be back in a few minutes. Greg Regan, later in the show, on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Check them out online at oft-aft.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, 
CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org. Let's go back to Delaware right now and rejoin Jim Michonne on behalf of the operating engineers, Local 542 and the Delaware Building Trades. The Delaware Building Trades Council represents 24 affiliated local unions, a professional organization advocating for the use of local and skilled tradesmen and tradeswomen with developers, with builders, contractors, and Delaware's business community. Jim, a couple things I want to talk to you about. Uh, Number one, we're hearing a number of states, and you border, obviously, the Atlantic Ocean, about wind development, and uh, there's a lot of wind (laughs) right off the Atlantic. I'm just wondering, are you capturing that? Because I know National Building Trades, they have this partnership with that Danish company, um, some states are doing pretty well with it. I think Jersey's doing pretty well. What about Delaware? Where, where do you stand in all that? I think right now the plan is for the wind farm in New Jersey to go up. And I believe that they're going to want to use um, some property in lower Delaware near the Cape May Lewis Ferry as a staging ground. But they're still in very early stages of all this. Um, we're hoping that, you know, President Biden and he already made an announcement Delaware is going to be involved in this, that we're going to get a significant portion of the work. Uh, but Delaware's got a long and troubled past with wind farms. So um, it's going to be a slow process for us, and we haven't had conversations with anybody. Even preliminary conversations haven't taken place yet to, to get these wind farms up and moving. So we're hoping sometime in the next two or three years we're going to have some kind of a, a sit-down with the um, – the people involved and in, in try and get the ball rolling. But as of right now, it's, it's probably going to be limited involvement and maybe a couple lay down yards or warehouse, um, a, a staging ground to get the turbines out into the water. And that'd probably be it for right now. Now, Delaware is not a giant state. Uh, I could only imagine there, you mentioned that, that, uh, I guess that, uh, project in the first segment, that's going to be up to a $700 million. I'm wondering if there's any other parts in the state, that are helping out the trades right now. And obviously, uh, I don't know where your apprenticeship program is. I, I know it's kind of convoluted with what we talked about in the first segment there. But what's what's a work look like for Delaware? Work is, is pretty good um, overall right now. Obviously, we're in a slow time of year. So everybody's kind of waiting for the um, the next big job to come out. So we're working with um, – with the governor and we're working with some, some key legislators and, and sec, you know, um, state secretaries to get some project labor agreements on some state funded projects. And it looks like at this time, we're probably going to come out with, with five good sized projects under um, a PLA. 
which is going to be really good for us. Um, it'll be the first time in Delaware that the state has um, has authorized the use of project labor agreements on state-funded projects. So we're hoping that these projects uh, are going to help our members out and help the state out and save them some money in their budget. Um, their projects are started; they're slated to start going out for bid middle of this year. With construction starting by the end of the year, um, total is about three hundred million dollars worth of work. Everything said and done. So that's going to be pretty good. Um, good. There's also a job coming up where they're going to try and put a cap over parts of the city of Wilmington and bridge um, together. The area of the city was divided by I-95, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, which is a, it's an interesting project. Um, I believe I talked about it on the show before. They're moving closer and closer. You know, every week they're getting – some more stuff done, some more research done, you know, their impact studies and whatnot. So we're, I'm monitoring that project because I think that would be a good one for the Delaware Building Trades to be involved in. How are we faring with uh, prevailing wage? I mean, that that's a battle that's been going on for such a long time. And, and you got these contractors, especially that are building on uh, state projects, not paying prevailing wage. How prolific is it right now over in Delaware, Jim? Well, I mean, you're always going to have that problem, I think. Um, the smaller the prevailing wage project is, the more likely it is to happen. Uh, the bigger projects are, are usually policed really well, either because there's union involvement or just because they have the public eye and the Department of Labor is really going to stay on top of them. Right now, we're pushing to try and eliminate some of this, um, like back-channeling to eliminate the prevailing wage that, unfortunately, even some of the state departments take advantage of. Um, what I mean by that is, there are like lease back or buyback programs that go on that are they are as a mechanism to help defeat the prevailing wage. Um, you would have, for instance, we had an issue with a school that was being built where they decided that they were going to lease the ground of the school so that a third party could come in and construct a, an indoor swimming facility. And it was like a 99 year lease, a dollar a year, and the school got to use a swimming pool for their purposes. And in exchange, because now it was technically not a prevailing wage project, they didn't have to pay prevailing wage. Um, we're trying to push legislation that's going to require prevailing wage to be paid on any project with $1 state funding or any project that takes place on state property. And that, that's a that's strong legislation, I think. Um, I think that if we could get that done, then it would really close a lot of the loopholes. Um, most contractors are scared to cheat in the state of Delaware because we have triple damages. Uh, if you get caught cheating on a prevailing wage, you're not just paying the money back. You're paying the money back times three. So I think that really intimidates a lot of the guys uh, that would normally cheat from doing so. It's a big mm-hmm. fine if you get caught. Yeah. Oh, I talk about that on the show. It's just like OSHA fines. I mean, they got to crank those up some more. It's ridiculous because companies will rather pay the fine and just you know continue to have an unsafe workplace. Very, very sad. It sounds to me you got a pretty good relationship with your uh, your legislature there. Am I correct in assuming that? Yeah, well, the, um, the Senate labor chairman is a union electrician, Senator Jack Walsh. And on the House side, we have uh, Representative Ed Ozinski as the chair of the labor committee, and he's a union sprinkler fighter. So we, um, we're pretty good when it comes to the, the legislators here in Delaware. They, they work with us. Uh, hand in hand the problem usually comes in when you know the vote call is the floor and they need every vote they can get so they gotta they gotta work with these people they gotta yeah. 
you know, they got to negotiate. And we all know about that. We all know about negotiating. And sometimes you got to give up a little to get what you need. And, you know, there's always like we're doing now with the apprenticeship bill. We got it done. And now we just need to go back and alter it a little bit more. And the legislation, the key part of it is already in place. So it's easier to go back and add a little if you can get the big heavy lift done. There you go. All right. One more uh, one more issue here. The Delaware Pro Act. This one really caught my attention because uh, we've been following the Pro Act and the fact that it's not gotten anywhere. Again, it did pass the House. This is in federal legislation, but it didn't get anywhere in the Senate. I don't see anything happening in that right now. And this would really, really change labor law in America. I mean, it would virtually eliminate right to work. I mean, there's 27 states that are right to work right now. And it's really right to work for less. So you're trying to do like a a mini pro act bill, Jim. Talk to me about this. This is this is pretty exciting. Yeah. So the uh, the Delaware Building Trades employs a lobbyist named Patrick Allen, and he brought to us the idea of maybe we should try and run this thing and see if we can get it done. So I believe what he did was he just took the the federal bill, and he's having it written to be uh, at a state level because obviously you know the the actual PRO Act was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of legislation at a federal level. And here in Delaware, it's probably going to boil down to about two pages, and we'll keep it tight to just the things that, that labor needs without all the uh, all the other stuff that has to be done when you, you do a federal bill. So the key elements are going to be, you know, like the car check recognition, the uh, secondary boycotting, and, and, you know, the tools that labor had 50, 60, 70 years ago that were taken from us. We were just trying to get them back. Um and like you said, it'll really, really knock out any prospect of right to work happening. So we're, it's a heavy lift. Um, we've got a, a big plate of legislative items this year. But, you know, we're hopeful that um, at the Democratic caucus and maybe even a couple of Republicans will see the value in working with labor and we can get these things done. And, and you know, as far as organizing and everything, that PRO Act, that is a key. That, that shaves your organizing time on an organizing campaign in half. Oh, yeah. So it, it really would be a key piece of legislation to go through for us. But every piece of legislation we try and pass is a key piece. So we're hopeful that that's going to get um, the attention it needs and we're going to be able to get it passed. But if it doesn't pass this year, we'll run it again next year. You know, that's that's kind of the attitude we're taking. Now, when, when do you see this happening? What what time, what month will this be happening? When it will be introduced and when when will the hearings begin? We don't have an introduction date on that piece yet. Um, Delaware's legislative session runs from January to uh, the end of June. So anything we're going to do this year has to be done by June the 30th. Typically, the labor bills usually go right at the end. We'll, um, we'll be there on the last day of session trying to, to cinch down the votes. And then, then obviously the governor has to sign everything before it goes into law. So yeah, typically we're, we're right there to the wire. May and June will be busy months for us legislatively. Now, your governor, union-friendly? you think that he'll move on this one or what? I'm hoping that he will. He's a hard guy to read. Like I said, um, we've got had some legislation that went up that we thought was good and we had we thought we had the support, and, and by the time it gets done and he signs it, it's changed significantly. So um, he's been okay for us. He hasn't been the greatest uh, thing for labor here in Delaware, but he hasn't been the worst either. Uh, he, he, we did run a project labor agreement bill last year that would have saw every prevailing wage job in Delaware go under project labor agreement, which was, that was a heavy lift. You know, we, we didn't know if we were going to get it or not. And, um, the governor wasn't happy 
that it got as far as it did, and that's why we negotiated with him during the off season. And now we're here, and we're going to get these five jobs that he's going to um, recommend to us that go under a PLA. So we're hoping that he sees the value in the product too. That um, that the unions here in Delaware, we're we're gaining ground. We're treating the workers right. People are trying to join unions every day, and we need to facilitate that. We don't need to be put up roadblocks. We need to be opening doors for these people that want to join unions and that want to organize their workplaces. Instead of making it hard, we ought to make it a little bit easier. Yeah. So hopefully he sees it that way too, and he'll support it, and, and we can get it done. Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of support for the PRO Act in the country. There was some polling on this recently, and it leads by 69 to 20%, especially on, on for young people, 85% support the PRO Act. So do me a favor, Jim. Uh, the lawmakers you you mentioned that are uh, members of unions, can you send me, well, you know, we can do this after the show, send me their names, contact information, and we'll talk more about this. I, I like that because this could be a model for other states. If you can't get it done in Washington, do it in the state. Why, why not? We'll see what right. happens here. Okay? Yeah, you got it. All right. Jim Ashone. He is the financial secretary for local 542-I-U-O-E. That's the International Union of Operating Engineers. You know, it's funny, too, because I could tell you're an operating engineer. You always keep saying heavy lifting. we got a lot of heavy lifting to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're, just, you're just doing it in a different way in the legislature there. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And uh, he also uh, serves as treasurer of the Delaware Building Trades, debuildingtrades.com. You take care. Stay safe, brother. And good luck on that job site today, okay? All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Flash. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Greg Regan, on behalf of the Transportation Trades Department, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. And if you like a show, please share that show. We appreciate those of you that do share the shows. We just want more. We count the downloads. Our sponsors like that. whole idea here is to grow the show in 2023. 30 years this year for America's Workforce, and I'm hosting this 
in July for 25 years. Hard to believe. AWFpodcast.com is a website you want to go to for any of the shows. All right, let's go to Washington right now. Join one of our longtime regulars. That would be Greg Regan. Greg is president of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Again, this is a collection of about three dozen unions all dealing with transportation, whether it's on the ground, on rail, or in the air. TTD.org. Greg Regan, welcome back to America's Workforce, and uh, let's uh, hit the hit the ground running here. We got a new Congress. It took a while in the House, but uh, <laughs> yes, it did. How do you how do you feel about about the future here for the next two years? What's your, what's your take on it? Well, look, the good news is we got a whole lot of good legislating done in the last two years. So, um, you know, we, there's a lot of work to be done in terms of implementing all of that legislation, whether it be the infrastructure law, uh, whether it be the, you know, the inflation reduction act, there's a lot of good stuff in there that has to be put into motion. Um, but also I think, you know, looking forward, these narrow margins that we have in both chambers does provide, um, opportunity really for us. And, uh, I think there's a chance here, to try to form coalitions about real, over you know important issues for our members, and try to accomplish some some major goals. When you uh, talk about putting things into motion, it sounds like we're talking about funding. Is, am I correct in uh, in saying that? I'm just wondering. Funding is a yes. Funding is a big part of it, but you know we've said all along that that what makes this bill what will make this bill so successful uh, on infrastructure is ensuring that the funding is paired with really strong labor protections so that right. not only are we building a modern infrastructure system we're also doing it with quality jobs union jobs and that once it's in place we have a workforce that's fully trained and ready to be able to operate it in the best possible way now, in the last Congress, they did they did what they could to make sure that there were labor protections in there, especially for unions. Uh, is it possible that those could come out moving forward in this new Congress? No, I don't think so, uh, because it's you know it's already written into law. I think the way that the administration is writing these funding opportunities, the, the grants out that are going out there, uh, are making it very clear about what the administration's priorities are, that there is an expectation for any, any entity that is going to receive funds that you're going to do it using, you know, project labor agreements, that there's going mm-hmm. to be, um, you know, labor peace at the, at, you know, whether it be an airport or another entity, that training is going to be right up at the forefront. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of good stuff coming out. I, I don't, I don't see the, the Congress trying to go back and, uh, and alter any of that. And frankly, it wouldn't get to the Senate if they tried. Yeah. You know, one of the um, one of the departments was Amtrak. And uh, there's been talk of high-speed rail in various communities, which if you go back 10, 12 years ago, I, mean, I, I could speak to what happened in the state of Ohio. Kasich was governor, and they put funding <laughs> in for Amtrak. And the first thing that he did was say, we're not going to do that. It doesn't work. The trains go too slow. Now, now in the Northeast, different story. Boston, New York, all that area, that's uh, quite a corridor for, for trains and all that. What do you see for the future of Amtrak with this, uh, with this new Congress here, Greg? What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Well, Amtrak is one where we're going to have to fight to ensure that, uh, you know, again, the, the, the money that, that was passed through the infrastructure law is already there. Um, you know, yes, we're going to have to try to make sure that we 
that they don't reduce that or try to carve any of that back out. Um, but the fact that we picked up the seat in the Senate is a good backstop for us there. So for us, it's we've always viewed the infra, infrastructure law money as a as seed money. I mean, if you think about the massive backlog of maintenance, um, if you if you look at just the Baltimore Potomac Tunnel and the Gateway project in New York City, the tunnel under the Hudson River, um, and the replacement of their their Amfleet, their national uh, network trains. I mean, that right there could have taken up just those three things could have taken up virtually all the money. Um, that is not strategically what we would like to see. We want to see this as an opportunity to see um, a stronger network throughout the country, creating better corridors, high density corridors in different areas where uh, you have population centers. Uh, that aren't adequately served by Amtrak right now. And then using the ongoing appropriations process to ensure that those continue to get funding. And once they're up and running and people see that there is a new, really good transportation option for them, I think that Amtrak uh, around the country will see the type of um, popularity and passenger growth that we see in the Northeast Corridor, where you do have reliable, um, regular passenger rail service that people find to be incredibly useful. So with this new Congress, I'm just wondering, you got a timetable here. When are you going to see some action here? I mean, is there any specific month that you want to call attention to and any specific goals that you have in mind? Well, look, if you call attention to any month every year, it's, it's the end of September when you have the, uh, the appropriations deadline. And this year we have the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, uh, authorization expires at the end of September, which will need to be, you know, I'd love it if we could get a full FAA bill done this year and have it be passed on time that um, if history is any guide, that is a a tall order, but those are when you're going to start to see some deadlines that need to, that that will require congressional action. Um, But I'll be really curious to see what happens with the debt limit um, votes that are going to have to happen sometime soon. I think that's where we're going to start to see, how various coalitions inside this new Congress are going to be functioning. Uh, we've, we obviously saw that there were a handful of members on the far right who held the House hostage for almost a week to, uh, over the speaker vote. Um, you know, but I think that that is actually, I think there is a governing majority out there, uh, including moderate Republicans, who are going to be willing to work with Democrats to get some responsible legislation done here. And certainly require, or causing the, the federal government to default on its debt is would not be responsible legislating. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll be curious to see what, where the different, um, you know, who, who uses these narrow majorities to, to, their, to the best of their advantage in the, in the next couple of months here. Greg, it sounds like we need more people like Pete DeFazio. I know you want to talk about him. Pete was the chair of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, and apparently he did a whole lot for uh, for transportation issues. Can you speak to his legacy? Yeah, look, Peter DeFazio was um, a real champion, not only for for transportation and for modernizing our system, but at every step of the way, he was making sure that, that worker interests were protected. Uh, you know, he was our biggest champion on things like foreign repair stations. Uh, you know, an issue that, that you and I have talked about several times, but mm-hmm. never seems to get a, enough attention. And, you know, he was the one who, who was constantly trying to highlight this and make sure that, that there was, there was language put into these pieces of legislation to try to address it. Um, he was the one insisting that everything had, you know, the core labor protections that we believe in. 
Um, he was the one who was responsible for uh, making sure that we got the, the, the payroll support program and that all the relief money through the CARES Act uh, and the subsequent relief bills during COVID, that they were that all that money went towards payroll and benefits. I mean, it was it was him. He who who authored that legislation. So, you know, he's going to be missed quite a bit. And and trust me, he um, he put in his time in Congress and it's not an easy place to work. So I don't blame him for leaving. But uh, he left. He's leaving a pretty big hole uh, for us to fill here. You brought up the the foreign repair stations, and uh, I remember many conversations with you about them. And you saw the airlines, what they did instead of getting the airline serviced in the United States, where you know you've got various unions, mostly the uh, the machinists and aerospace workers. They were a big part of that. Uh, they would go to foreign countries where the labor is cheaper and probably unskilled. Where are we with that right now? Is that still happening? Has that been curbed to some degree because of what Pete did? Well, it is, uh, you know, there is still legislation that has been passed um, by Congress that requires the federal government to issue a rule to, to, for the bare minimum for us, is to make sure that the drug and alcohol testing standards that we employ here at home, that we believe are a core safety requirement here at home, that those same standards or equivalent standards are used on FAA certified foreign repair stations that operate on U.S. aircraft. Um, that is still outstanding. And it's something that we continue to, to hammer away at the administration to figure out where, where are we on this. Uh, and I know what they're concerns are i know there are different issues of sovereignty that that need to be worked out but we're not going to stop talking about it but the the leverage we have to keep to, to keep hammering on this issue and keep pushing it um that only exists because of what chairman defazio uh put into legislation over many years uh, and there are other you know other areas where um we have legislation that he introduced legislation that he introduced that we're going to hope to get reintroduced this year uh to continue to put pressure to make sure that we have a safer system and obviously the jobs issue and the outsourcing issue is a major concern of ours. But I think every American should care about this because it, it is fundamentally a safety issue. It's one that we are we are turning a blind eye to, a, uh, you know, a separate level of safety for a huge amount of the aircraft that are operated on the, in, in our country. Greg Regan, president of the Transportation Trades Department, of the AFL-CIO, TTD.org. You can also check him out on Facebook, Transportation Trades Department, and follow him on Twitter, TTD, AFL-CIO. You take care, stay safe. We'll talk to you next month, okay? All right. Thank you, Flash. Take care. All right. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the Dayton Building Trades and our independent labor voice, Tom Buffenbarger. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.